be done before eight. But we want to go back to the match in Africa or the match for Africa. And it's our honor now uh, to talk to a tennis commentator and former SA Davis Cup doubles player, uh, Robbie Kunich, who joins us on the line. Robbie, good evening. Thank you very much for finding the time to speak to us uh, on SAFM. Hey, Tadisi. Good evening. What a pleasure to catch up, bud. Yeah, it's a pleasure for us to talk to you. We follow you on social media. We love your work, Robbie. When you got the call to come and cover this match, did you have to think twice about it? Is that a trick question? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll tell you what, guys. I can let the cat out of the bag now. Um, I did an interview with Roger in March of last year. At, um, at Indian Wells, which is the tournament I'll be going to in a couple of weeks' time. And uh, I was doing an interview for the tournament, and after we had finished on camera, his um, his agent, Tony Godsick, said to me, Hey, Robbie, can you just ask Roger three questions about his match uh, for Africa being in Africa? And that's when I knew, hang on, something's happening, and this is oh. exciting news. Um so about a year ago, I kind of had an idea that it was all happening. And then when I got the call up, it was fantastic to be able to work the event. That is amazing. And for you as a South African, what did it mean to be the voice of that match, basically? Well, it's, it's so cool to be able to do this stuff at home because all my work gets done abroad. Mm. Um, but there's, there's nothing like being in your own backyard and because the event was so unique, it's not like a regular tennis match. You know, you've got, first of all, a world record number of people watching a tennis game. So that in itself was incredible. That's a bucket list item for me. Um, but also, you know, I get to see Roger and Rafa play a lot. Mm. For me, it was the joy that other South Africans got seeing them live. Um the amount of requests I had beforehand, oh, can you hook me up with some tickets here? <laughs> can we meet the guys there? You know, just the energy um, that South Africans have for these two people, I think that gives me the most amount of joy. And to see them play in Cape Town, man, it was fantastic. And to see that world record crowd, Robbie, does it, does it show you, does it show us that there's a big appetite for big-time tennis here in South Africa? Um, I hope so. Look, let's be honest. The likes of Federer and Nadal transcend the sport of tennis. They are basically global sporting icons. You throw in in the mix Bill Gates and Trevor Noah, and I think you've got the perfect recipe. I think, um, you know, my good friend John Lafney de Yaga was was hosting that whole event with Holger Loss Mm. working on the ground, and he reckons they could have sold that stadium out four times. That's how popular those guys are. So you just hope that it will ignite the passion for more tennis in the country because, you know, if that doesn't, I'm not sure anything else will. <laughs> and, 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 and I mean, for you, um, looking from where you are sitting, why has South African, uh, why is South African tennis not back in the spotlight like it was in the, day, in the days when you guys were playing? Because now you can count the guys that are playing on one hand. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good question. Um, there's probably a couple of reasons. Uh, one of them being the cost factor these days. It's such an expensive sport. You've got to travel far and wide now um, in order to to make it as a pro. And for the last uh, 10 or 15 years, we haven't had a whole lot of tournaments on our home soil. We had the South African Open for three years. But actually, those big tournaments are not what you need. You need some of the smaller events. And Tennis South Africa is doing a better job of 
getting those events now. We've got a couple of junior events. Uh, we've got a challenger coming up soon. Um, so if you can build a foundation with the smaller tournaments, that means the players can make points and money at home and then use that to then travel, which is ideal. Mm. Um, and then, of course, you know, I think when you have homegrown talent doing well, likes of Kevin Anderson doing well and Lloyd Harris, you know, you need heroes. And we had a lot of those back in our days growing up, and there's, there's not as many of them these days, but hopefully the likes of Lloyd and Kevin will encourage youngsters to take up the sport. Mm. We had the likes of Kevin Curran back then. Well, I think he was your captain during the Davis <laughs> Cup. He was, man. <laughs> Casey was very inspirational to me, the likes of him and Johan Creek. Yes. And... Um, you know, I remember listening to the Wimbledon final in 1985 on the radio against Boris Beck. I was yeah. driving up to Johannesburg. And, you know, that was a huge inspiration for, for us young guys. We wanted to be like Kevin. We wanted to play at Wimbledon. Um, of course, Johan Creek winning the Australian Open a couple of years before that. So those kind of heroes are important. And with Kevin Anderson doing as well as he did, uh, making the finals of Wimbledon, making the finals of the US Open, you just hope it rubs off. Mm. And, and on that note, Robbie, you, you've now become the voice of tennis. Was it always something you wanted to do after your playing days? Uh, actually, no. It, it kind of fell into my lap by default. Uh, I was coaching for a year, and then um, a good friend of mine, who I hadn't seen in a long time, we literally, uh, I have a place in London, and, and we met each other, and he said to me, uh, Robbie, what are you doing? I said, I'm coaching. He says, oh, would you ever like to get into commentating? I said, well, maybe one day. And he said to me, well, you know, we're looking for a commentator at the end of this year. This was in 2006 because one of the guys is retiring. So, you know, if you're interested in it, let me know. And six months later, um, one of my players didn't want me to coach him anymore. And I thought, well, hang on, this coaching stuff is, <laughs> you know, one day you're hot, the next day you're not. And uh, and then I thought, hang on, if I get into this commentary thing, it might be quite nice. It's, it's a solid stable environment and next thing you know in, in September of 2006 I signed a contract for the following year and I haven't looked back since it was um, a chance meeting with a guy that I worked this event with Jason Goodall yes yes and yes that chance that chance meeting has led to one of the most um, fortunate careers that I've had so far that is amazing so how do you find the balance then between traveling and the family time and do you still live in South Africa Yes, um, I spend a, I spend a lot of time in South Africa in, in uh, Durban. Uh, you sound like my wife now, giving me a hard time about all the weeks I spend on the road. But I'm, I'm very blessed. I, I see something that um, I, I work about twenty two weeks, and then the rest of the time I'm off. So all my work gets done abroad, and then when I come home, uh, my time is free. So, you know, I always remind people I have about 28 to 30 weeks holiday every year. So that's more than most people. So, yes, there's times when I'm away, but my times at home are, are pretty pretty generous too. Awesome. And is there what's been the best match that you've commentated on, if, if there is anyone that stands out for you? Uh, very good question. 2017 Australian Open final when Nadal and Federer had that absolute epic. Oh, yeah. That was pretty special. Um the other one that springs to mind was when Andy Murray won Wimbledon for the first time. You see, I'd known Andy since he was about 15. I played against him. I remember meeting him and his mom after that match when he was 15, when we played. So Andy was one of those players that was close to, to my heart in that I'd seen the whole journey from a very young age. Mm. And I remember 
commentating on the finals of of as much as Wilden and just to be able to call that and the historical significance of it, the first Brit winning in seventy six or seventy seven years. Um you know, everything he had been through with the incident and done Blaine, and now he was, you know, champion of Wimbledon. The amount of pressure that he was uh, under uh, to be, so you cannot believe it. Um, in fact, Yvonne Lendl, who was coaching him at the time, said he's never seen a player under so much pressure ever. In any country that he's been in and anybody he's coached or played in, uh, just, you know, the British press are like, yeah. so, uh, it can be so critical. Uh, so that's right up there. Those two would be right up there. And he was clinical. It was 2013 and he won in straight sets. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, good memory. I, mean, yes. I don't know if you remember the last game, but he was 40 love up. Then he goes down break point. Yeah. And uh, I remember him saying to me that for from juice onwards, he does not remember what happened. His mind was just going into a frenzy, having the match points, not closing it out, and then um, having to save all these break points you know, you know, we think these guys are uh, are faultless and, and that they are immortal. But I tell you what, you get inside their heads, and they're not too different from us. Yes, they've got special talents, but um, it's nice to know that there's a human side to them. Yeah, and they have to deal with that British media. I was at Wimbledon when Johanna Conte had that good run, and every day you were reading about her, about her parents, about her dog, about her pets, and <laughs> just just amazing the pressure that they put them under. On that note of Wimbledon, Robbie, we had a conversation with Kevin Curran here before we let you go, trying to find out the greatest match in history. Is it the 2008 men's Wimbledon final? Um, I mean, it's got to be right up there. The drama, the fact that Rafa had never won it, the backhand down the line that Federer hit to save one match point. Um, I've got to tell you a great story about it. Mm. In Strokes of Genius, uh, the lovely movie and the book that was written by John Wertham, he did a movie about it. Mm. And they interviewed Uncle Tony afterwards. At two all in the fifth set, there was a rain delay. Yes. And Tony was in an absolute panic. He thought his, his nephew was not going to win Wimbledon. Anyway, they have the rain break. They go into the locker room at Wimbledon, and Uncle Tony is in a frenzy. He doesn't know what he's going to say to Russell when he's got this moment. And Rafa walks in the locker room, and he can see for the first time in his life his uncle is is in a flat panic. And he looks at Uncle Tony, and he says, Tony, don't worry. Whatever happens, I will not lose this match. Roger might beat me, but I will not lose it. <laughs> now relax. I've got this one. Whoa. And, of course, he comes back to win it. I think it was 9-7. 9-7 in the fifth. 9-7 in the fifth. But that's the kind of self-belief and mental fortitude he has. Because you ask any tennis player, when you've had a match point, can you imagine having a match point to win Wimbledon and then not get it, but yet still have the mental toughness to deal with it and then go on to win? It just tells you everything you need to know about Nadal. Amazing, amazing. With the rain, I think the match stretched up to seven hours if you take the rain delay and everything in between. And mm. what... What did you make of how Roger and Rafa handled themselves here in South Africa? Because they seem to have time for everybody, despite being the superstars that they are. Is that how they are also on tour? That's exactly how they are. Um, Rafa could be the most humble superstar I've ever met in my life. And I tell you, Roger's cut from exactly the same cloth. Um, I think the big thing is great parental upbringing. You've got to give their parents and their family a lot of credit. You know, you're so often a, a product of your, your environment, 
Um, and I think that's the same thing for both those guys. Lynette and Robbie Federer, uh, you know, strict but fair. They gave Roger the freedom that he needed to develop as a young kid and leave home when he was 16. He used to come home on a weekend. And Rafa had Uncle Tony by his side, you know, who, who ruled him with an iron fist. And he always taught him to be humble and keep his feet on the ground. And in his book, he often talks about the fact that, remember, you're only good at one thing, as he said to Rafa. You can hit a tennis ball, but there's guys over there that are better plumbers than you. Mm. There's that guy over there who's a better electrician, and that guy can, you know, write a story better than you. So you're good at one thing. Just remember that. You're nothing special. And who's going to break the stranglehold of the top three, uh, Robbie? We've been hearing about the next gen. We've been hearing about Asvereva, but Daniel Medvedev. But these guys are still going strong. Oh, no. I mean, I'm a big fan of uh, of Medvedev. Dominic Team's shown that, that he's close. He's not quite next gen, but, uh, you know, he is part of the younger brigade. Um, my money would probably be on, on the three guys, uh, Medvedev, Zverev, and Sitsipas. Those would be, be the guys for me that have kind of put up their hand in the last 12 months. They've beaten these guys um, on occasions. And I think that'll give them the self-belief. But you're so right. You know, Roger on his day, Djokovic is not going anywhere for the next couple of years. And as long as Nadal is healthy, um, he's going to be impenetrable on a clay court. So these guys have still got their work cut out, man. not going to come easy. <laughs> and and at the same time on the WTA it seems like now the playing fields are becoming level we're seeing different winners every week every competition is is that good for the for the sport uh, you know I think sports swinging roundabouts um, I think ultimately you want great rivalries you know I grew up watching Borg McEnroe and Chrissy Everett and Martina I mean that was one of the greatest rivalries I think they played 80 times. Yeah. It's insane how often... I heard you talk play. about it in commentary on Friday. <laughs> yes, yeah. So, you know, I think you, you always want great rivalries. I mean, we've had a trilogy right now with Djokovic, Nadal and Federer, which is, is unheard of, what these guys have been doing. But I think until somebody really takes takes hold of women's tennis, I don't see the... Nobody is on my radar that's that it's definitely going to win 10 majors. I don't see anybody doing it. I think everybody on their day, if they're playing well, Belinda Bendich yeah. in, in Dubai last year, I think she beat five top 10 players to win the tournament or four top 10 players. You know, she could win a major anytime. Uh, Naomi Osaki losing early to, to Coco Goff. Mm. So you've got Coco, what's she going to do in the next couple of years? Um, it's exciting times, I think, as well, to have a lot of youngsters, a lot of different people in the mix. So I don't think it's all bad. I think it might be a nice change from the dominance that we've seen from Serena and Venus. Okay, great stuff. Robert, thank you very much for finding time to speak to us. We've been meaning to catch up with you and we are uh, so grateful that you were able to give us a few minutes of your time. We love the work that you do. Uh, You're flying our flag very high there on that ATP tour circuit and we wish you all the best, sir. Thanks, bud. Great to be on your show. Thank you very much, sir. Rob Kunich, tennis commentator for the ATP Tennis. Uh, he's usually that voice that you hear in uh, on um, Grand Slams, big tennis uh, events there. South African, proudly South African, still lives in Devon. Uh, Rob Kunich, their former 
SA Davis Cup doubles player, of course. Former doubles player himself. Um, we were trying to look at his stats. If I remember correctly, he reached the 1998 US Open men's doubles semifinal. I think that was uh, one of his uh, biggest highlights there. Uh, but he's won a couple of uh, um, couple of tournaments, of course, as a doubles player. He won five titles, actually, as a doubles player, Rob Kunich. So he had a solid career also. Also played uh, in the singles. He beats the likes of Yevgeny Kafelnikov. Remember him? Remember Pat Rafter, the Australian, Tim Hanman. He's beaten most of those guys and he is one of our own.